Hello and welcome to Grot and Guardsmen, a Warhammer 40,000 podcast keeping you up to date and helping you to get the most out of your hobby. I will be your host, Benjamin Simpson, the Grot. And I am the Guardsman, Luke Hill. In this podcast, we'll be talking about all things 40k related, from painting to wargaming, from video games to events and news. We have a cracking first episode lined up for you, starting with news and hobby releases to keep you up to date, some hobby chat, and some custom scenarios for you to try out. We'll then move on to discussing the basics of list building and the results of our first preliminary community faction survey, so stay tuned for plenty of 40k goodness. But before we get onto that, a quick introduction to us, your hosts, just so you know what we can really give you when you're listening to us in the podcast. Um, so, I'm Benjamin Simpson. Um, I've been in the hobby for 10, 12 years now, roughly. Um, I've done all sorts, from commission painting to running communities for wargaming. Um, not just 40k, but plenty of other wargames too. So, I've Got plenty of experience working with different rule sets um, and, you know, getting a feel for what the community likes and doesn't like. Um, I've played plenty of, plenty of armies over the years, uh, with my main being orcs, but also plenty of Imperial factions like uh, Guardsmen, Space Marines, Knights, and Adeptus Mechanicus. So over to you, Luke. Uh, yeah, I am Luke. I have been in the hobby seriously for about four or so years. I mean, I started with the old Blackreach box set back in 7th, but I didn't really play it particularly. So I'm much less experienced in the hobby than Ben, um, but I feel I can still add some kind of you know noob perspective to the, to the podcast. <laughs> uh, as far as armies go, I'm afraid I'm a bit of an Imperial bitch. I've got Guardsmen and Space Marines mainly focusing on Guardsmen, though my up-and-coming army my own personal chapter of Space Marines, which I'm sure will come up at some point in a podcast down the line. Um, I also play a variety of other war games and tabletop games like Bolt Action, Age of Sigma. Um, I've dabbled in 30k, um, a few other bits and pieces. Uh, so yeah, I feel I have quite a decent perspective to add on to this podcast. Uh, with that out of the way, let's move on to our first segment. So this week, on Fresh Off The Box, we have a few new news articles to talk about, um, some quite interesting. Indeed, we have had some spicy new content coming out from uh, a variety of places, really. We've had the new rumour engine for the 13th of April, and a couple of new articles from the Warhammer community page. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's start with that rumour engine. All um, right. All right, we'll go with that. So to give it a quick description, uh, what we've got here is... Uh, a hand holding a remote or detonator of some sort. Um, there is a fairly simplistic antenna and one button on it. <laughs> so it's quite a uh, quite a distinctive looking hand holding quite a distinctive looking what I'm going to assume is a detonator. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so it's would... pretty obvious what this is, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think this is? Um, well. <laughs> Looking at it and looking at the uh, ribs on the hand and the claws and the fact that it's um, well, just the look at it, look of it, and I know it's black and white, but what I imagine the paint scheme to be, I'm going to guess Gene Ske- yeah, Gene Steeler Colt. To be mm-hmm. honest, what I think you're you? absolutely right. I think you're spot on there. Um, just a guess, but you know, Gene Steeler Colt also tend to use like a lot of mining tools. They tend to have you know, like explosives and mining drills and stuff. So a detonator would be right on sort of on point with the type of gear they use. 
Yeah, um, right on the money. I don't know if they already have some kind of a debt charge as part of their uh, arsenal. I'm really not sure of Gene Steeler cult rules at all. I haven't looked into them and I haven't played against them. But um, um, it does look like some kind of appropriated mining gear. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can take demolition stuff, um, at least some variety, <laughs> with their current army. Um, it's it's got a mining vibe going on, so this this works quite nicely. Um, and those like, like those claws on the hand look definitely gene stealery. Yeah, um, yeah, agreed. Either vampire or gene stealery, and uh, we haven't got vampires yet, so um, <laughs> gonna gonna assume gene stealery. I mean, blood angels. You're not that far oh. off, but this uh, this wouldn't be them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be a rather severe rework for. <laughs> For the uh, blood yeah. angels, if this um, is what they look like now. Yeah, well, there's a uh, you know, there's not too much to go on there. So, shall we move on to our next article? Uh, yes. Which one are we moving on to next? Let's have a look at the uh, the sister stuff. Okay. It's quite so, interesting. As good a place to start as any. So, we've got the uh, new. What are they called? Uh, the Celestian Sacrosancts. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are looking rather spice. Really, really pretty model. I'm going to say oh, there. Yes. Um, Agreed. I'm really liking that power halberd. Or it's a halberd, isn't it? It's not glaive. Yeah, I'd say more halberd or poleaxe for definite. Um, very nice polearm. Looks, yes. looks fantastic. Um, and the article mentions that they wield a variety of blessed polearms and maces with which to smite the unclean. So I think we might also get maces or another, um, well, another weapon option. That does sound like um, a multi multi part kit. Um, hopefully, a, it'll be a multi part um, mm-hmm. or a multi option kit. Yeah, multi weapons. Even like, I don't think it will necessarily be more than one like unit, but definitely different weapon options by the sound of things. Um, yeah, maybe in the similar vein of the uh, intercessors and that kind of thing, where it kind of fulfil the same role but slightly differently. Mm-hmm. I reckon. They, yeah, yeah, just like a weapon for a different option. Um, and they, they look great, I think. That shield's quite nice. Uh, good detailing on it. Yep, yep, very nice. Um, I don't necessarily know about the colour on this one. I might do my shields a little bit of a different colour if I were to get some of these, but uh, overall it's still fantastic. Have you noticed the barrel of a bolt pistol sticking out from behind the shield? <laughs> I was about to mention that. Only just spotted that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like having bolt pistols as well as shields and a big-ass weapon is going to be great. They're going to they're gonna yeah. kick some ass, I think. Yeah, what, what do you reckon the uh, stats are going to be like on those weapons? I mean, uh, those weapons, we've only really, we know what a bolt pistol is. Um, I'm talking more mm-hmm. about the uh, halberd. What yeah, I think we'll be looking at at least plus one or two strength. Um, okay. Probably plus two, because that's I quite beefy. So that they're hitting at strength five. That would then be a fairly nasty-looking weapon. They'll probably get a couple of attacks each. Yep. Um, maybe like three on the leader. So... Yep. And then you'll, as a spell weapon, AP minus what three maybe. Don't know if there'll be necessarily three. I think this is more like a strength based weapon, so it'll give you that plus two strength. Then maybe, yeah, maybe AP minus one or two. But I think the damage will also be nice. I think this will probably be two damage, at least I reckon. Yeah, if not something like what's a power fist? Is a power fist D three? Power fist to D three. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, they wouldn't go quite that ham on it. So I think two is maybe maybe right for these. Uh, I think that's which I guess is the same as a power fist on average. Um, so these could be nice weapons, and they'll they um, if they were going to go in keeping with halberds, they ought to be really, really good anti-armor kind of weapons, like anti-heavy infantry, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So good, good against terminators, intercessors, um, good. plague marines, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, like, like if they are too damaged, like we're guessing, that's going to mean they're really good at cleaving through Space Marines. <laughs> yeah, which uh, is a bit of a shame, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for you. <laughs> Not much um, Yeah, so I'm um, I'm excited for these. Um, I mean, I know we do have the um, what they call the. I I um, don't know. Right. No retributors. Sorry, I'm thinking of the Sisters Melee unit. Um, Hang on, I'll I'll get it up on the uh, store page. Give me a second. Uh, the Repentia, Sisters Repentia. That's the one thing of. Um, oh, what the uh, big yes. old eviscerator wielding, crazy eviscerating wielding sisters. Um, they're doing very well at the moment, I think, in sisters lists. Um, and I see the thing. The thing I'd like about these, like fielding these new sisters instead of the Repentia. Um, are that they they fit really nicely in with the standard sisters aesthetic? Yes, like armored sisters. Um, I can have those sallies on them that are really nice. Yeah, um, I think that's going to look great. Whereas I don't necessarily want to be fielding like hordes uh, of naked chainsaw wielding maniacs. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it's not like I completely hate the Repentia, um, but I just think like this aesthetic is really nice for sisters, and I love to field these guys. Yeah, I think it's gals. <laughs> also, I suppose a really nice thing about this new squad is you will get that power armor buff. I don't know whether the sisters mm -hmm. get any kind of a save. I'm They're guessing, certainly not durable. I'm um, guessing six up at most. Um, I think they do tend to crumble a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. so these these uh, these new these new squads, especially like in this new edition when we're pushing harder and closer together for those central objectives, these sisters are definitely going to have a good place on the battlefield. They'll be really cool. Yes, very much looking forward to seeing how they're run and uh, what their stats are like and all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely. Um, um, shall we move on to the um, the other sisters' news, which was points for the Palatine? Yes, of course, the Palatine. And uh, what, yeah, a Palatine. Nice, what a nicely pointed model this is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like you know, we've we've already seen the model and stuff for this uh, and the rules, um, but that is a low points value, I'd say. That's really yeah. nice. Okay. It's basically a budget lieutenant. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd say a lieutenant is one of the models that you would absolutely love to take on a budget. <laughs> yes, agreed. Definitely. Um, uh, I, yeah, is lacking a little bit, but um, realistically, what you're not taking it for its combat prowess. You've got other models like. Hopefully, the uh, lovely ladies above her with the uh, power. power. <laughs> yes, with the yeah, with the halberds. Um, yeah, I think like there's there's maybe one or two places where it's lacking a little bit. Like three attacks isn't phenomenal, um, and as always, strength three, toughness three isn't phenomenal. But all, all sisters are going to be that. Um, but you know, where it matters to an extent, you've still got the three up save, um, and you're still hitting and wounding, like you know, hitting twos um, regardless of shooting or melee. So yeah, she's going to make quite a nice just behind the front line kind of unit. I mean, occasionally absolutely. chucking in a couple of plasma bolts, uh, maybe overcharging that to take out something a little bit bigger, and uh, giving your front line units a bit of a buff. I think she's going to be. Yeah, I think we'll. I think we'll realistically see at least one of these in pretty much every sisters list because yeah. paying just forty-five or fifty points for a lieutenant is, I think, like every Space Ring player's dream. <laughs> Such a cheap buff. Um, oh, okay. So to be able to get that on all your sisters is going to be absolutely fantastic. Uh, also, just to check, is she a um, an HQ unit? Or is she like an elite? 
Uh, I'm not certain, actually. Um, she is an HQ unit. She could be a very nice way of filling out your uh, HQ slot if you're doing a lower point game. Yeah, I'd oh, I'd be led to believe she's HQ, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily trust me on that one. Um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> These are things we should probably look up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she's going to be fantastic. Just 45 points for those rerolls is going to be amazing. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. with that, shall we move on to our last news article? I think that would be um, a fantastic idea. So uh, let's go and praise the Omnisci for these new weapon stats. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so these are some... <laughs> yeah, these are some fairly exciting weapon stats, if you ask me. Um, they're really quite good buffs to some of the Admech um, standard gunline weapons. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I think they've made some interesting decisions with them, but I don't think there are any bad ones in here that I can see. Yeah, shall we, shall we just sort of um, go through each change and see what we think about them? Yeah, um, okay. so uh, we start with the, what is that, the Galvan Galvanic Rifles. Gal yeah. How do you pronounce that? Yeah. So um, well, going from a, well, keeping the 30-inch range, and we're going from Rapid Fire 1 to Heavy 2, which is uh, odd, <laughs> but we'll roll with it. We'll discuss uh, that, yeah. Yeah, keeping the strength for um, getting an AP minus one and keeping the damage one. And um, I suppose gaining AP minus one is just replacing the each time you make a wound roll of six plus for this weapon, it's resolved with an AP of minus one. It's just uh, making it a bit more reliable. Yeah, so I think realistically, like, how many sixes are you actually going to roll? Like, with a unit of sort of five of these. Uh, you're probably only going to get like one, <laughs> maybe two sixes. Um, so that wasn't really a great ability before, but now just that flat AP minus one is, is a lot better. It's kind of in line with bolters now. Um, yes, added to it, you, you know, you're getting that AP minus one and you're getting both shots at 30 inch range as opposed to having to be within uh, 15 inch range to get both, which is uh, quite nice. Mm -hmm. Makes it really yeah. nice backline camping unit, I think. I can understand why people won't like it being heavy. Um, because in this edition, you do really have to push forward, don't you? However, um, when I'm looking at taking some Skatari Rangers, I'm always bringing a uh, Transoreic Archibus with that squad, the heavy sniper rifle. Um, oh, and you, yeah. you can't fire that, I believe, at all if you move. Um, okay. So I basically, I'm pretty much always sitting still with that squad. Um, <laughs> Meaning that I don't care if this is heavy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm, anyway, it's fine. I'm very happy to see heavy two. That's uh, it's not ideal, but it's um, it's nice because they're not you know a ranger squad isn't really what I'm bringing for to push forwards anyway. If I was, was going to push forwards with them, I'd be taking the uh, the vanguard. So yeah, you really don't want to be thrusting these guys into the uh, into the fray too much. I think this is going to be much better. At sitting on your backline objectives or pushing up a little bit and trying to pick people off their objectives and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Without having played Admech, I don't know exactly how they play, but um Yeah, I haven't I haven't tried the service raiders on the uh what, the ponies. <laughs> um what? I don't <laughs> know Yeah, the uh the cavalry unit. Uh, I'm not sure how well this would be on them. Um I'd need have... to have a look. Maybe they it'll be cavalry? good. When do they get cavalry? It's <laughs> not fair. Yeah, a little while ago. I swore uh, we discussed this before. Um, Sulfur Hounds or whatever they're called. Yes, yes. There's another. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so it's part of that kit. There's another variant. So you can build those as um, Rangers or 
thank God. Um, okay, I'm with you. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too certain on them, but definitely for Rangers, I think this would be a fantastic option. Yes, agreed. Right, shall we move on to the new arc rifle stat? Mm-hmm. And I think this is really good because previously, when I was looking at, um, I mean, you know, it could be on your Vanguard, uh, sorry, uh, Rangers, but more specifically, I think this will be used a lot more on Vanguard. Um, and I did like taking these before, if I'm being honest. Um, strength six is nice, but oh, yeah. realistically, the trouble is these are designed for taking on vehicles, like their ability, uh, they're in their old profile reads. Um, and I don't think they actually did that job very well. So I'll, I'll read the rules. Um, so where before they were ranged 24 inches, they're now 30. So it's it's now in line with your um, with your, your Galvanic rifles, if you yep. wanted to put it on your Vanguard, uh, on your ranges even. <laughs> um, yep. It's still rapid fire one, so it might not quite fire as, as hard at distance, but that's fine. Um, rapid fire is still good because I tend to push them in anyway. Um, yep, that is very still much strength six. So strength six is great, I think. Um, it's gone from AP minus one to AP minus two, which is a really big deal in my opinion. Yes, you you're start really cleaving through heavy infantry with that, or even vehicles. Yeah, like like I say, these things are sort of geared towards vehicles. Um, the ability, which I'm about to read out, is aimed at vehicles. So I think that AP minus two is going to go a long way because you never really see any vehicles with a save worse than four. <laughs> so you're always making the most out of that AP, and it's going to help. Um, and the damage has gone from one to D three. That is a fantastic buff, let's be honest. That's so we've got a range buff, we've got an AP buff, and we've got a damage buff. And what's more, the um, the old ability was uh, when attacking a vehicle, you have D3 damage, which it's now is the case that. anyway. Now is the case anyway. Yep. And the new ability is each time an attack's made with this weapon against a vehicle, the damage has a characteristic of 3 with an unmodified wound roll of 4+. So... You're Hang getting on. a straight three damage against vehicles, and you're always going to wound on a four. Yes, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Sorry, um, I, I kind of read that and heard that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I wasn't clear enough. Um, uh, yeah, but... so whenever you, it's just a four up um, wound roll will always wound the target, basically. Just mm -hmm. to, yes, yeah. Almost like the old poison weapons. Um, oh, of course. Except yeah. this is obviously against vehicles, and the damage is three now. So. It's still got better damage against vehicles. Three damage against vehicles, I think, is fantastic. Um, That's very good. I mean, yeah, you can get that out of... Um, or you can find it difficult to get that out of some dedicated anti-tank weapons sometimes. Absolutely. Like, I've, I think I've last cannon shots where I've rolled a one or something like that. I can't <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, I'm, I'm used to firing, like, orc rockets at things, and something that <laughs> I actually really appreciate now is flat three damage. Where before, at the beginning of 8th edition, say... I was thinking, oh, three damage is, is nothing compared to the D6 you can get on rocket launchers and last cans and things for Space Marines. But, you know, actually, when you're expecting or hoping to get a big roll out of that and then you get like a one or a two, it's really like, oh, damn it. So, so just flat three damage every time actually is going to work out really nicely. And it's reliable. It's good. Um, that's going to be great, I think. A yes, fantastic I think weapon. I think that is the thing of this uh, this edition for Admech weapons is the reliability is just that much, you know. It's, it's so much just, higher. Yeah, I don't know if there was an issue with reliability in previous editions, but um, they seem to have really cracked down on it, whether there was an issue or not. So <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, 
yeah, like I already liked my arc weapons in my Vanguard squads. I'd love to put on like an arc maul and an arc pistol and an arc rifle, but I'll admit that the plasma was always the better option. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was part of me was only doing them because I wanted more more models with pretty weapons and more you know more out of each kit. But now I think that's going to be a great option to take. I was going to say now it looks like you modelling the ball with that kind of weapon is uh, going to pay off quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, we've still got a, a couple more weapons. We do have a couple more. Um, I'll try and get through these <laughs> fairly quickly, really? in case you're bored of Admech by now. Um, <laughs> I can't be bored of Admech. It's legal. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> Admech are great. <laughs> um, so the... Um, Cognitive the, weapons. Well, there's a little mention before that, actually, on the... Um, Skyrim um, Rust Stalkers, I think the transonic blades are going to AP minus three instead of AP minus two. Yes, sorry, I missed that. Yep. Um, I'm happy to see that because I don't really think many people were fielding these before. Um, um, are they I some s- kind of infiltration unit? Yes, they are. Um, so the the I think you can build two kits with or two different units with this kit. One of them is the infiltrators, and one of them is the rust stalkers. I saw people use the infiltrators sometimes because they had the pistols. Um, the Macro stubbers, I think they were called, um, that shot out loads of shots at strength three, which was okay. But no one really used this variant, which was all melee um, with these transonic blades. Well, like, I like them. I, I like the look of them. Um, I've never thought that, well, I keep saying this, I've never fought Admech before, so I've never encountered them. Um, they seem like they could be quite nice for uh, pushing onto an objective and clearing it out. And by the look of them, they're going to get loads of attacks. And with an AP of minus three, they're going to be chopping down. They they up. absolutely do. Yeah, I can I can agree that you know these guys um, they're great for pushing in and cleaving things off objectives. Yeah, they might struggle a little bit with holding an objective, but I suppose if you're just going to keep pushing, then they they're can not, be very good to follow. They're through. not too squishy. If I'm being honest, um, they're still decent saves. Okay, um, I suppose standard admix sort of four ups. I was more thinking from the point of view of they're not going to be contributing a huge amount firepower-wise. It's not like... Oh, well, I suppose um, even if they had a, just had a pistol, they'd be contributing for, what, 12 inches and then... Yeah, I think that's why the other variant of the kit was more often used, because people like having a bit of firepower as well as a melee weapon. But... Yeah, well, it does help. And seeing as you can use pistols in melee, it's or you can shoot mm-hmm. pistols in melee. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to see them good. So moving on to the Cognos weapons. Yes. Yep. So, we uh, have seen an update to the Cognus Flamer, Cognus I mean, Stubber, and the Twin Cognus Auto Cannon. I don't know if there were other Cognus. And the Twin Cognus Last Cannon. Oh. <laughs> They're all better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think across the board, everything's seen upgrades there. Yes. Um, uh, so, Cognus Flamer has got increased range. Um, or shot. From 8 to 12. Uh, yep. Same strength AP and damage stats. And. Should probably have read Still this. Still automatically hit. Um, oh yeah, and then it's um, the other bit is about Overwatch, which has been changed in ninth anyway, hasn't it? Yes, I think being super good at Overwatch is no longer that big a deal because you're probably not going to want to Overwatch as much. So oh, I'd rather so. just have yeah, I'd rather have that longer range and the extra shots. Yeah, it's a command um, for Overwatch now, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so you're really paying a premium on that. The stubber. Um, has changed from heavy three to assault four, which what? is <laughs> okay. fantastic. An extra shot and fire on the move. That's wow. That's great. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I guess this is on like vehicles which don't care as much, but um, that's still a good to see. Extra shots is not going to go miss, is it? Yep. And then the uh, text there is again a change to shooting whilst advancing, which assault weapons now do anyway. So I don't suppose they need that mm -hmm. uh, little bit of text. Yes, it's not. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really matter if uh, if you can fire when advancing things if you're already assault. <laughs> yep. And now, uh, the, uh, what I think is one of the best, you know, one of the best upgrades that I've seen so far is uh, the Twin Congress Auto Cannon, going from a heavy four to an assault six, with uh, no other stat changes. That's that's wrong. Yeah. Same same change. The only change in terms of the ability was the uh, advanced while firing, so that doesn't matter again. And you get an extra two shots from an auto cannon. Yep. Um, six shots from an auto cannon with the uh, strength seven, AP minus one, damage two. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, two extra shots from a flamer, and we're going, oh, that's nice. Two extra shots from an auto cannon, and we're going, oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh... It's two extra shots from an auto cannon that can now move normally and not have any aiming penalties. This is <laughs> great. I mean, you know, we are, we are looking at fairly heavy platforms, but that's, that's fantastic. You know, yeah, even I mean... on things that are bigger, um, two extra shots from an auto cannon is great. We like yes. that. I'm not sure how these things are going to be pointed yet. We haven't had the um, new Admec codex coming. We'll yet. have to wait and see. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean that's something we'll go on to, isn't it? Um, yeah. In terms of pointing, we'll have to wait and find out. Um, but let's also mention the last cannon, the last yes, weapon we're going to talk about. Oh my god, no! <laughs> I I really like this. I mean, not... I know a lot of other things have benefited from more shots, but in this case. Um, it's got the standard change to assault, so you know you can move on advancing and stuff. Yes, uh, shoot and it's got the uh, but... damage reliability buff as well with that D3 plus 3 as opposed to D6. Absolutely, which is like we were just talking about with the uh, the arc weapons. That's such a big deal, isn't it? Oh, just yeah. knowing you're going to get through... At least um, four wounds mm -hmm. is just... It's, it's yeah. like when you're firing at something like um, Terminators or smaller battle suits and stuff where it's a three wound model and you're like oh i should kill one with each last cannon shot but and, and then you roll all sometimes or something like that and it's yeah oh. so sometimes <laughs> you know sometimes your last cannon shots only take out your two last cannon shots only take out one guy even though they both wound and it's like oh well now you'll get two um, i think to be honest in some ways the most i mean that is very nice but in some ways the most uh, terrifying thing for me is that you've got assault last cannons I mean, <laughs> I mean. Bear in mind that they could fire when moving anyway. Before it's on like large platforms, and they they could do, but they were getting like land raiders. I don't know what fire. Um, land raiders can fire less cannons and things with power of machine spirit. Um, yeah, but they're a tank. Yeah, no, but um, cognitive cognitive last cannons are on bigger platforms anyway. Um, oh, well, they they're on the yeah, they're on these um, uh, cat uh, cataphron breaches or destroyers. No, no, I think the last cannon is on... I'm struggling to remember the name of it now. I think it's on, like, the tank. Um, uh, so... What the... Uh, which tank? They've had a couple. Yeah. Uh, uh, are you talking about the the newish one? Or uh, like yes. One of the old... <laughs> right. Okay. I know, so... that sounds stupid. Um, I know some of these things I think you can take on... Um, Called Dune Crawlers. Um, yeah, I, I think this, these aren't on small platforms. Um, okay, which... you are going to be paying a bit of a premium for them then. 
Maybe, yeah. I mean, well, you will in terms of the vehicle. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. I, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see in terms of points for the actual weapon. Um, but it's kind of exciting, isn't it? Nice big guns. Yeah, always <laughs> like the Admech, and as I say, I haven't seen them fielded very often, so it might be nice to, uh, well, admittedly, probably get pasted by them every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, oh, it does. Yeah, it does also mention a change to cash from. Um, uh, yes, another uh, at the bottom for the torsion cannon. Um, from breaches. Yeah, again, another D3 plus 3 damage buff. And, oh, double range on that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, spicy. And the Catathron Destroyers have also received something. The ability to supercharge their plasma culverins without the risk of instantly blowing themselves up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, yeah, exactly. You just said that's, uh, that's nice. Yeah, you don't want to be losing a model as big as a Catathron. Um, because of a, a rolled one, you know it's not yeah. too bad when it's just a guardsman. Even though it's a shame you're losing the gun, um, this is worse. You know, <laughs> that's <laughs> this is probably the forty k thing you've ever said. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad losing a guardsman, but it's a bit of a shame losing the gun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's oh, exactly okay. the truth, isn't it? You know, well, uh, it's only a guardsman. Who cares? <laughs> um, yeah. So there we have it. That's um, yeah. Th- that a whole lot the... to talk about for the new Admet guns, but um, there's some good changes there. And I look forward to seeing them on the table. Yes, well, I look forward to seeing them, uh, presumably, from you on the table. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, hopefully soon enough we'll bring out some battle reports and things to show off some of these changes. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll get back to you on that one when we have some news on it. Our next segment, In the Hobby Hole. Today we're going to be talking about a... Uh, an issue, shall we say, quite close to my heart, and that is contrast or highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's quite a nice topic to get into because um, everyone um, from experienced painters to people fairly new to the hobby are gonna, you know, gonna want to paint their models, and give it at least a go. Um, and I think that you know traditional highlighting methods are fantastic, but Contrast probably has its own niche now that's really going to help people out in the hobby scene. It does. I've found Contrast to be a massive lifesaver when you're trying to paint things really quickly. I mean, you can get a really nice, with some of them, I'm going to say this, with some of the paints, you can get a really nice finish, and a really nice paint scheme without spending the extra time. Um, I found the metallics are a little bit odd. <laughs> they don't really look that metallic, if I'm perfectly honest, but uh, a lot of the other Contrast paints are you know, fantastic. Uh, ben, what kind of experience do you have with this kind of thing? Um, so I've um, I've not really moved on to the contrast um, paint system since it was announced a while ago now. Um, it's something that I, I've not really thought too much about. Uh, admittedly, I did a lot of the time, um, but I've, I've stuck with painting with traditional sort of GW style um, base wash highlight 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> forever highlighting um, yeah. you know and then obviously you know like effects and things in various places whatever getting mini pretty but um, yeah no I've I've I have dabbled briefly with contrast in a few places um, and I think it seems to be really good um, yeah I think it depends a lot on what you're trying to achieve like for you you're trying to go for the absolute nicest minis you can possibly produce. 
with just about everything. Which is <laughs> now now people are going to look on the feed and be like, "Oh, this is the best he can do." <laughs> uh, well, it's better than I can do. Uh, to be fair, that's a really nice, you know, a really nice sentiment. Maybe less so for an orc player, but <laughs> generally, that's quite. Admittedly, nice. yeah, I have a weird like for horde armies. Yeah, um, which is not good with your uh, attention to detail and slight OCDism about how nice your minis look. Mm, yeah. uh, whereas somebody like me, I'm much more a case of just trying to get them on the tabletop um, as quickly and efficiently as I can. I don't like complicated um, paint schemes. I don't like difficult paint schemes. I just want to get something painted. And so we're not just playing with, you know, legions of plastic minis or gr- legions of grey. I really mm-hmm. don't. Yeah, I, you know, I think it really does add a lot to your games to see um, nicely painted or at bare minimum actually painted minis on the table. Um, not yeah. just to tell whose minis are whose and things like out of distance, but it really just adds to the immersion. Um, you, you know, you sort of feel your orcs going around doing stuff, being orky instead of just like, it feels like I'm just pushing a bit of plastic across the table. Yeah. <laughs> if they're not a, painted. Like. <laughs> it's a psychological thing, but it's quite. It's very noticeable. If you play with somebody that's got a plastic army um, and you've got a nicely painted one, you will notice the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. As far as how to apply it, uh, it's really nice and easy. It's just spray paint in probably a light colour, so either white or G-Dub's Wraith Bone is quite good. Or you can get different effects by using, say, Zandri Dust or uh, Army Painter Skeleton Bone. You can get decent um, looks with contrast paints. And you just slap it on where you need it to go, and it'll pretty much do the rest itself. I mean, like with a wash, you need to stop it from pooling too much, or it will look a bit weird. Um, uh, I think it's do. worth clarifying um, for those listeners that don't know too much about painting yet or are new to the hobby um, that the the traditional method of painting, um, and in this hobby we use acrylic paints, um, is to put a, a base coat on whatever you're painting. Um, which is your initial colour, and then you apply a paint which is really thin, like water, and doesn't have too much pigment in it. Um, and then what this tends to do is settle into um, deeper recesses in the model, uh, and this makes it turn darker. Um, and when that dries, you'll have areas where there wasn't as much of it there that still looks light, and then it gives you a nice sort of gradient into the darker sort of creases in clothes and joints in armour and things. Yeah, it just um, makes things look a lot less flat. Um Exactly. Known as a wash um, or ink, I think some people... Yes, ink or a wash. Um, and then highlights would be to put uh, areas where it's super bright or lights reflecting off corners and surfaces. Um, and then you put a you know sort of a final finish on those lighter areas um, to really make it look good. And the concept of contrast paints is to pretty much combine the, the base paint and the wash together um, so that you immediately, with one paint you get a, a beautiful strong base that isn't particularly see-through and will work well and stick to the mini well um but also it gives you uh, a surface which has a bit of a gradient and a little bit of contrast immediately exactly like the name suggests it gives you contrast um but without spending so much time just slapping base coats on things um yes uh, and yes. then separate washes and everything um yeah. It does have a couple of other benefits as well. For instance, I find with some paints, you need to water them down really quite a lot or use, um, I think you can get some, oh, what's it called? Uh, Lamium Medium, I believe it's called. Yeah, yeah. Basically like, um, oh, you, 
<laughs> it sounds really weird. It's like a water alternative. Um, um, so Lime Medium is actually just a, um, a GW wash with no pigment in it. It's oh. just the medium they use to make their washes. They just don't put any colored pigment in it. So it's it's literally just, you know, adding your Nona or Agrix or whatever um, to your standard paint to just make it thinner and flow a bit better. Yes. Um, yeah, and so you're I'll... right, you should absolutely thin your paints when you're you're using them. And some of them, to get that right, isn't always easy. Um, and, of course, we see a lot of examples online where people haven't quite thinned their paints right. Um, like, uh, Brother Clarence or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of memes out there. Um... <laughs> uh, but I find with um, the contrast paints, you can pretty much just go straight out of the bottle and it'll you know, do everything it needs to do. It'll come out with the right colour. Um, it doesn't pull too much. Um, you do need to be a little bit careful of it, but for the most part, it's uh, really nice and easy to use. It flows into the recesses that you need it to. It's much easier to move about the model than a lot of acrylic paints. Um, mm -hmm. The problem with it, it does restrict what kind of... Uh, oh, what are they called? What kind of base paints and sprays and things you use um, to base your minis with. So it wouldn't work very well with, say, a Chaos Black spray can if you use that first to prime your minis. Contrast paints aren't just aren't gonna work with that very well. What kind of uh, see I, I wasn't really particularly aware of this. I didn't think your um your initial primer really mattered too much. Like I believe it does, yeah. It's generally better to go with a lighter one because it just means recesses stand out a lot more. Um mm -hmm. the colours it because they're slightly see-through in nature, whatever colour you put on the ba on the uh, base of the mini is going to show through. So mm -hmm. if, say... I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm doing some bolt-action minis at the moment, and I'm doing 8th Army and Africa Corps, which are basically two guys, or two armies, that fought in the deserts of Africa during World War II. Um, and they're basically using exactly the same paints, but to get different colours with them, I'm spraying the Brits or the 8th Army with... Uh, or what is it? Whatever the white G Dub spray is called, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, Witch Flesh or Corax White? Uh, uh, yeah, Corax White. That's the one. Corax White, yeah. Corax White. And then with the Germans, I'm doing them with Zandri Dust, and all it means mm -hmm. is that even even if I'm putting the same color, which for example, we'll go with Skeleton Horde. If I'm putting that on there with the Zandri Dust, it looks much more beige, much more tanned kind of color. Whereas with the Eighth Army, it gives more of a bleached khaki look so the base paint that you use really does make a difference on how the contrast paint will come out unless you were using black templar in which case it's going to be well mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean i know i know you've said this is a bit of a disadvantage but i think that actually as a painter that can really be quite helpful um because it's really another tool in your arsenal almost so that you can manipulate the shades that you're putting down on your model um, and maybe even blend in hues that you want without them being too prominent and things. Um, so that's almost another positive to me as a painter. Um, when I'm trying to make things look slightly darker or slightly lighter, um, or you know, slightly, slightly cooler or warmer hue to things, I can just change that undercoat or that primer. Okay, I'm um, to go with that. Yeah, all right. So it's either a dis disappointment and no, a disadvantage, or a, <laughs> or well, it is when I do it. It's either a disadvantage or a uh, benefit, depending on your outlook on it. Um, yeah, I definitely say as you as you get better at painting, you'll learn to control that. Um, how much it shows through, I should say. Um, yeah, and, 
that'll probably be quite handy in the end. Yes. Uh, one thing I will quickly cover before we finish on this segment. Um, I find the best way, the absolute best way to, of using contrast paints is to use them with um, standard GW paints or any paint. Standard acrylic paint is what I meant. You can use whatever acrylic paint you want, realistically. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't really deviate from acrylics much as a miniature painter. Um, yeah, agreed. But you can go into things like Vallejo, Army Painter, um, Citadel, whichever brand you want, really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're all, they're all still difference. acrylics. Um, yes. I think so, companies tend to nail certain colours really nicely. Um, yeah, agreed. Yeah, definitely. But maybe some others don't quite hit the mark as much. So I think you've got to learn what you like working with as a painter. Yeah, um, they all have different... It's going to sound weird, but delivery methods, like the GW stuff, you um, open the cap at the top and then you can dip your brush in and get as much as you want out of like that. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's Vallejo, you almost have to squeeze it out of the um, bottle onto a palette. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what Army Painter are doing. I think they're like Vallejo. I think they've got eyedropper bottles. Yeah, I, that's the uh, word, eyedropper bottle. Yeah, yeah, I know a lot of people really like the eyedropper bottles. Um, GW do get a little bit of flack for their, like, their bottles. They're very <laughs> knockoverable bottles. <laughs> they're very knockoverable. See, <laughs> I don't actually have any trouble at all with um, with the standard paints, the smaller size, uh, the normal, uh, like, you know, highlight paints. Um, I never knocked them over at all. I don't think I've ever really knocked one of those over. Um, but moving on, yeah, maybe we haven't really discussed the negatives of contrast much yet. Um, I think one of those negatives is definitely that I knock over my washes so much. And that's got to be the case if all your paints are like that. Um, it, is, it is a bit of a problem. Um, I've knocked over, I think only one of them, actually. I've knocked over the Black Templar before. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe it's not that much, not that big a problem then. No. Uh, I would say, actually, I'm kind of struggling to find a downside with them. Some of them look kind of weird. Like, the, as I said, the metallics look really, really strange. Mm-hmm. I would not recommend using those. Um, which actually just quickly comes onto a point I was going to make. When you're using um, contrast, use them alongside normal paints because, like, with the normal, oh, yeah, yeah. you can get more precision with them. So, for things like I don't know, webbing, eyes, um, if you paint eyes, uh, trying to think of more examples. If there's any smaller details, um, some think... colors don't exist in contrast yet. I, I would just strongly advise using um, you know both types of paints. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. You can't really achieve great results if you're just using contrast because, um, you know, the, the whole point of that is that you get this range of color. Um, you get the darker and lighter area, the contrast. But sometimes you it stop because of that, it stops you from getting either end of that spectrum. If you want it complete black, contrast won't do the purest like absolute dark black or the darkest a color can be um, because it will still be slightly translucent so sometimes it's you know you then want to put another wash into that super dark recess Um, and absolutely for the lightest bits you definitely still want to be highlighting things Um, if you you know you want to get that nice finisher models Um, i wouldn't say you need to um because contrast does look good but i think it can really be a great way to improve the quality of your models yeah, um, yeah. well, that very nicely ties into uh, a point I was going to make. 
Um, the main reason I would use contrast is to just bash out models at an alarmingly fast rate, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. um, as I was saying, I've got the uh, bolt action minis, and I've done three of them with normal traditional paints. And then in the time it took me to do those, in fact, in less time than it took me to do those, I did the other seven people of the squad with um, contrast. Ooh. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So you literally doubled the speed then. Over double that's getting on towards tripled mm -hmm. speed um, with contrast paints. Well, we'll see uh, if we can get an article or some photos out, maybe on our Instagram or something, um, of your bolt action models so you can compare the contrast and highlight methods. Yes. Um, and uh, actually, as a social experiment, we'll put this on social media. I'll do an Imperial Guardsman, standard Cadian Guardsman, using mm -hmm. both contrast paints and normal paints, and I'll time it and put it up, and then you can be the judge of which you like the most. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I think another point actually that I do want to get onto, um, maybe while we were sort of towards the end and maybe thinking about some of the negatives, um, price has definitely got to be a relevant factor here. Ooh, um, yeah, that's. Uh... I will. I know that you're getting a lot out of it. Um, you're almost getting two paints worth sometimes, but this, especially as an entrance point, um, back when I got into the hobby, you know, you could get your your basic box with all your kits and bits for. You know, whatever it was, ten twenty pound, um, and then you'd maybe get a couple of extra paints to supplement that. Um, I don't think any of that stuff comes with contrast. Uh, so if you were aware, no, yeah, if you were going to use the contrast method type thing, which they're definitely pushing towards beginners, um, and I understand that, but that means that you're buying your tool separately or buying that starter box for twenty quid, and then you've got to get your full range of paint and contrast as well. Um, and those big paints at what four fifty fiver? It's around that region. Four fifty five for the um, uh, contrast paints at the moment. Yeah, in my mind, I pay a fiver, but it's slightly less actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for 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 something five or whatever, that's quite a lot if it's per paint, and you need to do a new scheme. Um, that is, and just to that was something it. that <laughs> really stopped me from going to new armies. Um, before I owned too much paint. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, oh, I'll do this new army, but then I need a dozen new paints. Yeah. Um, and so just quickly, the um, contrast paints are two pounds more expensive than a standard base paint, or most of the standard base paints. Um, so a normal pot of paint is going to be about 275, and a contrast one, as we said earlier, is going to be 475. So there is a, quite a big price difference there. Admittedly, they are bigger. They are a touch right. bigger. Are they, they double the size? Mm, no, they're kind of a weird... I'm not certain on the volumes. Um, uh, uh, I'll see if it says on the uh, thing. Uh, oh, so a contrast paint is either 0.6 fluid ounces, if you work in that, if you're weird like that, or 18, <laughs> 18 mils. And a normal paint is either 0.4 fluid ounces or 12 mils. So, so it's an extra third. Uh, or well, no, extra half. So you're paying, with a contrast paint, you're paying to get a level of shading plus a half a, paint, half a pot more for double mm -hmm. the price. Whether that's yeah, worth yeah. it or not is entirely up to you. Um, I like them. I really like them for just bashing through models gets decent tabletop standard. It's not going to win any competitions, but they look fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think... Um, yeah, maybe to conclude then, we can sort of say that Contrast has some great upsides. Um, they're going to be super speedy. 
and they give a, quite a nice finish um, to beginners immediately without tons of complex skill and practice needed. Um, so they're definitely something you want in your miniature painting arsenal. But then maybe um, you also definitely still want to be able to use standard paints um, and learn to work around them, uh, especially for getting that top-end, beautiful quality stuff. Yes, um, definitely, if you can, do your nicest minis in the standard method because they will just look nicer. Um, but for things like orcs or guardsmen or anything that you're doing lots of, absolutely contrast any day of the week, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, and on to our next segment, Whispers from the Warp. So in this segment, we are going to be coming up with new game types and game rules and uh, seeing how they pan out. So uh, Ben, I believe you've had an idea for this. Yeah, so um, I've really been excited about this segment. Um, as I've previously done a fair amount of you know coming up with rules and campaign ideas in the past, and this is a really lovely chance for me to get some of these out to the community um, and have some fun with some funky new game modes and ideas. Um, and given that we're finally <laughs> in the tail end of the pandemic um, and there's <laughs> Nurgle's rot floating around everywhere, um, not to mention that um, Nurgle is becoming very prevalent in Warzone Caradron at the moment, um, yes. I figured I'd come up with some nice Nurgly rules to spice up some games right now. Very um, good. Well, let's hear them. So, um, the, the title of this game scenario is Nurgle's Rot Spreads. Um, and the featured primary biggest rule um, is that each time two units, um, regardless of whether they're yours, your opponent's, um, one of each, whatever, um, each time units get within three inches of each other, you roll a d6 for each model in both the units, and for each one rolled, a mortal wound is taken on that unit. Oh, but my Templars. <laughs> Why did you do this for Templars? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's going to really break up people's castles a bit, isn't it? Oh, it really um, is. Oh, no, no more Crusader squad charges. Two, well, <laughs> first off, is this going to affect vehicles? I think that um, it probably shouldn't. No. Well, Vehicles don't tend to get COVID, so I wouldn't have thought so. Yeah, so uh, I'd say that vehicle units are unaffected. That's a good point. Okay, well, that answers the uh, next question. So, uh, yeah, crack on. Fantastic. Um, so, the uh, I think there's also, you know, you've got to... Um, we can't consider every unit in every codex for this, so you've got to use a reasonable bit of judgment. Um, like, maybe sort of bikes and defcopters and things. Um, I know defcopters are classed as vehicles, but they probably still would catch it. <laughs> you know, oh, it's just... Uh... They're quite high off the ground, aren't they? Bikes, yeah, but defcopters, they're kind of... Mm, true, true. But when you're in melee... Oh, I forgot defcopters. Oh, defcopters absolutely love a bit of melee, yeah. So, you know, well, um, All right. I think, you know, you've got to interpret these rules with... Um... I mean, they're not like official rules that everything take it with a pinch of salt and exactly take this with a bit of pinch pinch of salt and have some fun with your games exactly. um, it's all about having fun precisely so the next rule um is claim the antidotes on east objective on east objective just the one in the east <laughs> um on each objective there is an antidote uh, or a case of antidotes um so the first units to get in range of that objective, so within three of the objective, um, and only the first unit there um, can claim these antidotes. Um, you get them as soon as you move in range, 
And that unit uh, has the option to become entirely immune to the rule above. So then they can buddy up. Does that mean they don't spread it? They also won't spread it, yeah. So, so, so like, an obvious strategy with this would be to run units at the enemy. So even a bad unit could then cause the um, wounds from Nurgle's rot. You mean like Grottle Guardsman? <laughs> hey, hey, precisely. <laughs> Send your dying, infected Guardsman into the enemy ranks to spread disease. Oh, they're uh, in the guard. They're dead anyway. <laughs> they're only Grots. <laughs> they may as well be. <laughs> um, so there we go. Um, you can claim some antidotes if you've got a super important unit or maybe a massive unit if you're taking like 30 boys or something along those lines and you don't really want to be rolling so many dice you don't yeah, really want to be a few ones in there. yeah you're definitely going to get a few ones in such a large unit uh, or maybe conscripts or something um, you could make them immune that'll be quite handy yes although again if you're just going to tarpit things and keep dishing out mortal wounds by well coughing on them it might be nice to have quite a large unit just so that they can stay there as long as possible. That's true. That's true. Um, cool. Anything else to add to it? Yeah, so we have one final rule for while you're in the middle of playing this game. Um, and then that's called The Dead Are Rising. Um, okay. If you've been keeping up with Warzone and Caradrum, um, you'll know that the, uh, the servants of Nurgle managed to cast a powerful spell um, across the Warzone and across all these worlds, regardless of whether Nurgle's forces were specifically there, corpses have started rising. Zombies oh. are with us. Oh, Plague walkers are upon us. You know, <laughs> barricade your doors and windows. Zombies are here. Um, so to reflect this, there's lots of dead around the battlefields. Um, for each um, terrain piece... Um, or maybe not quite all of them if you're if you're using loads of terrain or a really big board. But no, no screw that. Each terrain piece. <laughs> each terrain piece. <laughs> sure. Uh, each terrain piece. Um, at the beginning of each round, starting in round two, so not, not to start with, um, but you roll a d6, and if you roll a one, you spawn a unit of ten poxwalkers there. Um, we Ooh. understand that not everyone's going to have poxwalker models, so you could maybe use zombies, skeletons, Undead would work quite well, or ghouls maybe. Um, whatever's the hand, really, though. At the end of the day, you know, if you've only got orcs, then use some orcs. Uh, yeah. Or guardsmen, we can pretend they're zombified, you know. Lots of models for. You need a lot of bodies for this. Well, you know, um, if you've got five objectives for five turns, you're probably going to have maybe ten spawn each turn. So you might need a few um, until they die. <laughs> but you probably want to be focusing on your opponent instead of the random zombies. Well, that's true, until the random zombies come and take a chunk out of your squad. Exactly, yeah. So, um, so, do, they, so do, they, do they attack anything? Or? Mm -hmm. So the standard Poxwalker, uh, Poxwalker rules, um, they will, at the end of each battle round, so after both players have gone, they will make a move, um, and then if they're ranged, they'll make a, in range, they'll make a charge at the nearest player unit. So they won't attack each other, but they'll go for whatever player's nearest. Okay, um, and just uh, quickly... Are uh, Death Guard going to get any control over these? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could do for fluffy reasons, but uh, I feel like keeping things vaguely fair might be handy. Um, yeah, I mean, you could adapt it so that the uh, Death Guard starts with fewer points of models in the first place and then gains these Poxwalkers as the game goes on. That's absolutely right. Um, yeah, yeah, let us know if you try these rules out. Let us know how you find them. Um, and if you have some weird spins of your own, let us know how they go. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we'd always like to hear about new interesting ways to uh, play the game. One final thing I was going to add um, is that if you want to use this in your Crusade games, um, as the victor for the um, scenario, um, you could give one unit of your choice the um, the what they called um, battle battle rights. Are they battle rights? Uh, battle I don't think it's battle honor. Battle honors. That's the one. <laughs> there we go. Um, the battle honor um, of it's essentially a capsule of Nurgle's rot. It's the it's the blight capsule. Um, Okay. And how this is going to work is it's essentially going to be a grenade. Um, but instead of um, a standard un- uh, profile for this grenade, um, you pick a unit uh, within, t- what, six inches, I think, is I what we have. Right, um, rules, yeah. uh, within six inches, and then you make the same roll as the initial rule. So you roll a d6 for each model and a unit, and for each one they roll, they'll take a mortal wound. Um, and that's your grenade. Which okay. might not be that strong against some things, but against others... Against horde armies, that's going to be lethal. Mm, that'll be quite a good crusader relic to have, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but when still said, relatively balanced. <laughs> when you said about the uh, crusader relics that you might be able to have, I thought you were going to say one of them's vaccinated. Like, they just stay vaccinated. <laughs> like, yeah, these guys are all over 60, they got their vaccinations first. So all, all <laughs> send, send in the pensioners. <laughs> Huzzah! They're immune to all nurgly things now. Uh, right. Yeah, so um, we're going to put a summary of these rules on our social media. Um, our website isn't quite up and running yet, but once it is, there'll be an archive of all the Whispers from the Warp rules, so you can try them in your games. Yes, indeed. Right, shall we uh, move on to the next one? Absolutely. And now we'll move on to the main part of this podcast, the chunk section. So today we're going to be looking at the finer points of list building, um, what you should consider whilst building a list, what kind of things you should and shouldn't take, uh, what kind of things you have to take, and uh, things like that. Absolutely. So um, I think best place to start when thinking of a new list uh, will be what attachments you're bringing. Um, yes. And... I think we'll both agree that for most lists, um, the detachment you want to start with is a if battalion. If you can manage a battalion, that is definitely the one that you should go for. Um, it's not always attainable, so if you're doing something like, I don't know, a 500-point game as Custodes or Space Marines or something like that, it can be quite difficult to fill <laughs> that in. I mean, it, yeah, I, I mean, mean, 500 um, points of Custodes is like you... three models, so <laughs> it's quite difficult to fill in a full <laughs> battalion. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, yeah, I think if you're playing at that point, uh, sort of size, then you aren't losing out on anything by taking a patrol. Um, there's no real benefit to having a battalion over a patrol of that size no. anyway. So I wouldn't you worry. Know. But um, I do think a battalion is a good starting point for pretty much any. Yes, definitely. If you can, as I say, if you can fill it in, definitely aim towards a battalion. Um, just quickly, for a battalion, you need. I believe it is two HQ and three troops as a baseline. Yes. Cool. That and right. you have a couple of other um, things you can put in. I think it's maybe three of everything else. Something like that. I mean, pretty much everything else. Yeah, all the uh, all the other major ones, like fast attack and heavy support. And heavy support. Yep. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's definitely not like a all lists with it. This some armies look towards having an ice brigade. Um, if you're already wanting to bring absolutely everything, um, and then you know you can just get even more in it. Um, and some lists, like if I was bringing, say, Speed Freaks, you know, it, it does lend itself to you bringing one of the more specialist attachments. But even in those cases, um, you can bring quite a lot of of a specific type of thing in those optional choices. And you really don't want to pay the command points for one of those other attachments if you don't have to. So just sticking with a patrol, a battalion, or a brigade is usually a good idea. Um, yeah. Added to which, if I you mean, are going down one of the more specialist routes, for, as you say, for example, speed freaks, you are going to want to leave space to take troop choices and HQ choices anyway for things like objective holding and taking and the like. Mm-hmm. Sorry, just had a drink that. <laughs> um, absolutely, yeah. I think often it's a great idea to have some troops. Things like objective yeah. holding. It's quite a big deal. Expensive um, troops. So... I mean, even things like just a very small orc boy mob or something like that, just to sit on an objective and take it and keep getting command points throughout. Not command points. Uh, victory points. That's one. Objective victory points. points. Yeah, okay. yeah, like grots are taken a lot for that exact reason. They're cheap and hold objectives. <laughs> yes. um, a guard squad can do the same thing. Um, you know, most armies have good troop choices for taking yeah, objectives. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, like you, you're going to need HQs anyway, so that's fine. Yeah, so um, I was going to say that, you know, uh, something I've touched on um, in other parts of this podcast um, is that objectives now in this edition, are yes, more they are than ever. more than ever. They are more the way that you win the game. Uh, I know that with eighth, a lot of the um, strategies and tactics were attempting to gunline your opponent off the table and then moving forward to take objectives, whilst there's nobody to defend them. But uh, nowadays, it's much more about taking and holding the objectives in your quarter and then pushing up to take other people's objectives, basically in those middle um, middle table objectives. Absolutely. Uh, and I'd say as not just last edition in 8th, but even as far back as, say, 5th, um, ranged has really sort of been the favourable way to go. Um, the objectives, even when there are objectives, um, you only really needed one or two in the right places. Um, so you didn't have to worry too much about it. And just shooting people hard yeah, off the table was the favourable method dread, uh, for most remember the dreaded Iron Hands Death Star. <laughs> that was a... <laughs> with my entire army and i've done two wounds because of that bloody involved save <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's, i mean there's been a lot of lists over the years that look kind of like that um but you know this is this uh this time round. um so many of your victory points now have to come from taking and holding the objectives um so when you're looking at troop choices and other choices now, um, sitting back isn't really favourable for your anymore. entire army. So at least. You... having a couple of backline objective holders is not a bad idea, but um, focusing your entire army around that concept is really going to work. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think that people wouldn't necessarily want to deliberately take things that don't move, but um, a lot of the shootiest, hardest hurting units can't move really. Um, so you might want to limit how many models you take nowadays that are just going to sit in your own deployment um, in favour of those that are going to go forwards and 
do some crunchier, closer range yes, fighting. Yes, agreed. And I suppose if if you aim to take a couple of even just multi-purpose units, like I don't know, intercessors or uh, guard mm. squads or something like that, if you need them to push forward, you can always use them to push forward. I mean, going with something that can only sit back and uh, shoot from the back line isn't necessarily a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I think having you know one or two of those units in your army is probably a good idea because they're going to be the killiest units in your army a lot of the time, and you're probably going to have one objective in your own territory that you just want to sit on the whole game. So taking a unit like that, that's a tank or like a heavy weapons team type unit, like a yeah, squad, I was going to say or, State squad, or even um, something like, or snipers, maybe or something like know, a tactical like squad with a las cannon or some kind of other heavy weapon in there isn't a bad choice for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you you do want something that's going to sit back, but um, nowadays, you know, you can you can score all your secondaries, you know, sort of however you want with your playstyle. But the primary objective you can, which is half the points, you can only get by pushing forwards and holding that middle ground. Yeah, you very much have to push up and take take and hold objectives. That is the name of the game at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, essentially that's something that I now in this building for this edition uh, I always want to keep in the forefront of my mind like how is my sort of area presence looking what's my presence on the board like am I the one that's pushing into the enemy's territory or holding ground or am I the one that's like you know desperately trying to get an objective back (laughs) yeah I think on that point looking for the specific roles for each of your units is going to be quite key in this edition as well so looking for things like your mm-hmm. HQ um, buffing units, your HQ fighting units like smash captains, um, then your objective takers, your objective holders. Um, you've got to look at where your damage is coming from. Um, any deep strike units you want to come and do some shenanigans in the background um, or in your opponent's back table edge. What's going to manage to push up and take your opponent's um, objectives from their table edge? Uh, there's quite a lot to consider and quite a few different avenues you can go down with this. Yeah, I mean, quite right. In previous editions, um, holding the objectives didn't quite matter as much. So the value of a unit was only really determined by how much it's killing. Um, so now when you're really looking for units to do different roles, like you're going to need something that's like a deep striker or something that's attack, going to attack the rear of their, their army um, and other things that will push forward to take objectives and be quite durable and then other units to sit back. Um, yeah, everything needs its own role, like you said. Um, you really want yeah, to be thinking about and that. there's not a problem with having some multi-role units, but I think trying to do everything as kind of a hybrid unit might not go very well. Um, if you try and go down the jack of all trades, master of none route, it's, it's never really worked for mm-hmm. me in the past. Um, I don't know if anyone's had any experience with that, um, with that going well, but um, I think certainly having a few units that are dedicated, think... you know, killing units or dedicated flanking units and whatnot is going to be very important. Mm-hmm. In, in a small size game, like 500 to 1,000 points, um, yeah, maybe you sort of need to be doing everything because you don't have that many units on the table. But once you get to more of a 2,000 point size game, you absolutely want to be taking specific things that are going to do their job and do it well. Yeah. Because you know that job's going to need to be done. Um, and that brings me quite nicely onto um, the, next, the next point I was going to make, um, which is what's going to be doing your killing and <laughs> how you're going to survive, essentially. Um, because you you always know you're going to be shot at by your opponent uh, or attacked by your opponent, and you need to be thinking about what you're going to take that damage on. 
Um, yeah, I suppose it is a uh, something you should always expect when you come to a game of forty k. Something is going to try and shoot you. Um, <laughs> and again, particularly for the objectives, you're going to want to find something that can happily sit on those objectives, take a couple of shots without too uh, adverse effects, and um, you know just survive until the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Now, some armies obviously have a more difficult time dealing with this than others. Um, like Death Guard are very durable, Necrons are very durable. You probably don't need to worry too much because, regardless of what your opponent's shooting at, um, you're quite good at surviving. Yeah, but if you have a guard <laughs> but, um, where you know a stern look is going to kill half of your squad, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Maybe, yeah. Um, and things like orcs, where everything is very vulnerable, you know, it can be shot very easily, not very good saves, um, or like Slanesh demons, yep. or something like that. Um, and one of my strategies for um, for trying to make your army a bit durable um, is sort of trying to theme the platform of your units quite well. Um, and what I mean by that is that every list um, should be able to deal with everything. Um, and that's when that's something you have to think about when you're thinking about the weapons you take. You obviously need to have methods of killing massed infantries and hordes and also killing must armor and vehicles yes. and things. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, but in terms of the platform you're bringing and what you're putting down on the table, I find that you're often going to find much better results if you try and stick with a theme. For instance, if you have a army where I've got you know uh, a mix of infantry and vehicles, then everything in your opponent's army is going to be able to find a nice target to shoot at, where it will be optimal. Um, but if I bring an army which is just you know 300 gun or or not <laughs> that many but you know like just hundreds and hundreds of infantry um or orcs yeah, or whatever it is you know, like tyrannids are going to um, be vert- well, I mean you're going to be able to very effectively kill about 3 guns but they're not going to be doing much more mm-hmm. than that <laughs> yeah so this is a method of really making part of your opponent's list quite quite useless um and you can do that either way like um an imperial knights army naturally one of the reasons it's very strong is that half of your opponent's guns are just wasted. Small arms fire is doing absolutely nothing against an Imperial Light Army because everything is toughness eight. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh <yes. laughs> um, yeah. So you can and you can do this. You know, like orc speed speed freak list could do this in a sort of an effective manner. If everything's a buggy, then a basic las gun is going to do nothing, regardless of what yes, you shoot it at. Very unlikely, or, although I will never forget you las gunning a, uh, what was it, a um... Oh, that's oh hell your uh, <laughs> las gun finisher for that hellhammer. That was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's always a laugh when you take miraculous kills. Um, but yeah, you know, it's still not an effective way. No, no, absolutely so, not. Um, and a guard mass tank army does the exact same thing, you know? So sometimes thinking about how you're best to survive, or it could be something as simple as, um, you know, taking a unit which you know has maybe some buffs or a strategy available or something that makes it more durable. And if you deliberately push that unit forwards into the enemy, then you can use that to take the fire. And then almost, you know, even if they go down, so that's the only thing you lose in the first turn. Yeah, that's, that's great. Absolutely. Like you know, that still puts you yeah mm-hmm, puts you in a good position. Yeah, if you forward. can soak up fire on one or two units for the first couple of turns, that is, you know, no bad thing. That is a really solid tactic to look for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
so yeah, just just think about uh, why, where you're going to take damage almost. Um, and I guess also think about, you know, uh, how you're going to deal with these things. You need to simultaneously be able to deal with an army of just tanks and an army yes. of just troops. It's a strange balance um, where you want to be able, you know, you want to force your enemy to deal with one type of unit whilst being able to deal with all of the enemy's units. It's it's a very strange, difficult balance to get. It's, it's a strange concept. It's not something that's easily um, dealt with, but it's something to think about. Um, I guess the rest of these things now... Um, are very yeah, army based. Depend very much um, on which faction you're playing. Um, so it's, we can't really go too depth or too much in depth into them. Uh, actually, with the exception, I guess, of secondary objectives, oh, yeah. um, because they're now paramount as something that you should think about when list building. Yeah, well, I um, don't know a huge amount of them. I haven't actually um, read about them too much. So if you could uh, cover that one. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so in previous editions, all the secondary objectives, um, I think for the last few editions at least, they've just been uh, Slay the Warlord, um, First Blood, or First Strike, if you want to call it that, and um, and Covering Ground, you know, Linebreaker, which is always the same, and you never really had to worry too much about it. Uh, it wasn't all that important, but now half of your points are on secondary objectives. So just like it's absolutely, you need to think about those primaries, you should really be having secondary objectives in mind when you build your army. Um, and not only now um, are they things that you need to build your army so your army can go and do them and achieve them, but sometimes, depending on your list, sometimes it can't be helped, but there are some secondaries that you want to not be giving away when building an army. Okay. Um, for instance, some things like bring it down. Um, if you do take a lot of vehicles that can easily be destroyed, you know your opponent's going to max out on that objective. Um, right, I see what you mean. Yeah. So I think it's not, there's not necessarily like, you know, a case of always work to this secondary objective. Like this one's the best. <laughs> do this, do that. There's no set but answer, but. Um, you do absolutely, you should read through the secondaries. You should be thinking about which ones you're going to take. Um, if you're bringing psychers, uh, then consider that as an option um, because there won't be a clear, obvious secondary to take based on your opponent's army every time. Sometimes there are going to be things that you want to do yourself to just maximize those secondaries. And our final segment today is Math Hammer the part of our podcast where we take some statistics relevant to the hobby and we discuss them. Math. Um, mm -hmm. Math hammer, maybe? <laughs> Try and sound a bit more British. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Brits, we do not say lieutenant or math. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, um, yeah, so this, this week's uh, statistics um, were fairly simple. Um, before launching the podcast, we have done a fairly basic faction survey um a rather short one just to ask people uh what faction they like to play and i'm going to point out that this isn't the faction that they're currently playing or what's their biggest best army right now it's the faction that's their absolute favorite and they've been collecting for the longest probably and you know come the apocalypse they're still going to be collecting this faction <laughs> yeah, if they could only um, have one faction which faction would they play? That kind of exactly, thing. right. You know, regardless of edition, regardless of rules, who's your real favourite? Um, and then after that, there are a few other questions, things like, what do you think of the models? What do you think of the rules? You know, what do you, any other points? You know, that kind of thing. Um, 
Okay. And this was um, the information was gathered through a variety of local Warhammer groups um, that I know, as well as the big 40k Discord. Um, so, yeah, you know, just yep. to honestly so- knowing where we got our results um, and can be skewed <laughs> by various things. Um, like we're less likely to get kids, I guess. Um, we're more likely to get people that have been in the hobby a while. But, yes, yeah. Um, and we'll get influencers like local metas and things like that. Absolutely. In there um, as well. Now, I haven't seen these results yet, so uh, this will be quite, quite, right. quite um, an enlightening uh, journey into the hobby. <laughs> so, for, as for question one, um, how, what do you think the split was like in the 20 or so factions? Um, well, I'm going to guess about 25% of the hobby is going to be Space Marines. Um, they're the poster boys, they're what pretty much... Well, not pretty much everybody, but what a lot of people get into in the first place. They've mm-hmm. got the most up-to-date range. They've got the nicest, arguably the nicest range. Um, and by that, I mean they've, you know, some of the nicest, most finely detailed mo- models and whatnot. They do suffer from the whole, you know, a lot of the nice-looking models are fine cast, which is a yeah, <laughs> bit of a problem um, for the older models. But I reckon Space Marines twenty-five percent. Um, and then a pretty even split for everything else being at about 5%, maybe? Um, yeah, see, I thought we'd have, before we did the podcast, I thought we'd have a lot more than 30% people playing Space Marines, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, okay. Space Marines are very popular indeed. Okay. Uh, now, these, these results will be available. Um, I will try and get these up on our social media so that you can see these as nice pie charts and things. Um, and also... Uh, I'll publish these stats on our website once it's up and running, so you can really go in and take a look at all the data you wish. Um, so, should I give a quick summary of uh, what factions people I'll, are playing? I'll scroll down and have a look at the uh, donut. Oh, hello. That's that's not what I thought it looked like at all. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's um, it's remarkably even, I'd say. Well, you've got your kind of three or four main players being the Space Marines, Chaos Marines, um, Guard, and... Well, yeah, they're kind of the three main ones, I suppose, on there. Well, I'd, I'm going to point out, so we've got Death Watch, Blood Angels, separate. Uh, I kind of did it by codex, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then we've got a few people that under others, uh, pretty much the whole of other um, were Raven Guard. So, really, you've got the... A section that's about twenty five percent. Just different space marine players. Oh, uh, space marine, yeah, loyalist space marine. Um, so you were pretty much spot on when you guessed the twenty five percent being space marine. Well, I'm very happy with that. <laughs> um, but as far mm. as everything else goes, I was quite far off the mark. Got really... They weren't quite as even as you'd expected. Yeah, um, chaos did a lot better than I was expecting. We have yes. we have a lot of chaos fans, um, which is nice to see. It is. A lot of their models are quite not... I mean, they need some updates in that range, but a lot of the uh, rules, rule sets and a lot of the models are very nice in that uh, mm-hmm. faction. Plus, a lot of the lore is just cool. I'll tell you something that surprised me, personally. Okay. Um, looking at this donut we've got here, we have surprisingly large sections for both Astrum Militarum, Imperial Guard, and for Tyranids. We had 12.5% of people playing Guard and 10% playing Tyranid. Which... I'm more surprised by the Tyranid than Guard. I can kind of get the Guard because they, I find them to be the most relatable faction, which I know you don't necessarily go into. That's this, this absolutely hobby, true. But um, 
I mean, given that both factions have, haven't, I mean, excluding a few very specific Athachans, both factions haven't seen any models for about, you know, almost 10 years now. Yeah. Um, so the fact that people are still loving and playing them um, speaks volumes to me. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> They're are. fantastic factions. Um, yeah, they are so, like, the strongest faction. Well, not game-wise strongest, but um, to the most distinctive factions in the game. Yeah, distinctive, law-wise. Like, God, is extremely important. Um, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was there was other things that split into fairly small expected sections, um, like Necrons, Orcs, Tau, Custodes, um, Hodar, um, kind of as you'd expect, I guess. Um, yes. I know and, a limited um, poll, but I'm surprised that we haven't seen any. Um, what was it? Um, Admech or Knights? I'm surprised that we hadn't seen any uh, players for that. See, I'm uh, I'm not surprised at all that um, Imperial Knights is. I think we actually have no Imperial Knights players on here, and I think the reason that people don't um, haven't gone for Imperial Knights is because we've asked for their primary one faction, um, uh, and I don't yeah. think that. Anyone in the hobby really has Imperial Knights as their <laughs> as their one faction because the law <laughs> is fairly thin for them, um, the codex is fairly thin for them. Um, you know the models are lovely and stuff, but ultimately, I think yeah, that's going to come down to the fact that for the most part, um, all the models are eighty pound. Oh yeah, okay. and you know it's kind of difficult to have that as a primary faction, I guess. Um, yes, it's quite a pricey. So, yeah. Pricey entry point into the hobby and a pricey uh, main to go with. Mm-hmm. Plus, that's quite a daunting thing to paint. Like, yeah, sit down I'd, in these I'd be got... interested in doing another survey, um, which is what factions do you play? Tick all that apply, um, and then I think we would see more things like Imperial Knights. Yeah, and yeah, maybe like fifty percent Space Marine, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, you know, that's uh, another one for another time. Um, I'm definitely interested in doing a lot more surveys. Um, shall we move on to the second question? Yes. Right. So, so, our second question was, what's your opinion of the miniatures range for your faction? Uh, okay. Um... And I'd like to say that, um, you know, 20, what's it, 27% um, of people, and I think um, the... Another one of the comments in other were also basically saying, I'm happy with this exception. Um, so I think it was like a third of people, basically, um, if you take in those in the other category. Um, a third of people are absolutely delighted with their miniatures range, um, which is good, I guess. Um, Looking at it, though, that is quite a large chunk of um, many kits need updating or replacing. Yeah, that's uh, particularly the Xenos. Um, that's yeah, that's like forty percent. Forty percent of people yeah. think that their kits in their faction need replacing. Um, that's not insignificant. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, there was, I think, one of the more pleasing things is that um, kits being discontinued and kits like important kits just not existing. Um, no one was really voting for. So people don't feel like, like maybe like in some of the Age of Sigma factions, um, things are actually being removed entirely. People aren't feeling like any of those type problems, 40k. Um, yeah. 
which is good, I guess. Um, yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, I think when or if GW starts getting rid of some vital kits for some of these factions, that's going to be a very dark time for the hobby. Um, I think they. it depends on whether they replace them. Yeah, replacing them is fine, but uh, just flat out getting rid of them like they have done with some Edge of Signal kits is, uh, yeah. It not, is upsetting. That's not fine. a good move. Um, absolutely. But by the looks of things, at least so far, no one's having that issue with 40k. So that is good. Um, and I guess the, uh, the, so yeah, like you said, the biggest, the biggest category was kits needed like replacing. The second was the people are happy. And the, the other, um, the, the third like category worth mentioning, um, was that people felt there aren't enough kits for the faction, which was roughly, uh, 15%. Yeah, I can, the... I can understand that. I'm not trying to think which factions I would have said there aren't enough kits for. Um, yeah, there's there's a few maybe things like um, like sisters. Definitely, Adamic before it's def- it's been thickening out a bit lately though. Um, yeah, some of the newer factions, I guess. Gene Steeler Cult maybe, but again, they've had some new kits which are nice. Yep. Um, um, I mean, the Nids have quite a lot. Um, Eldar have quite a lot of old kits, but they still have a decent number of them. I think, like, Harlequins or something have about five models in their whole range. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously, right. not literally, but, um, you know, so that's that's fair enough. Uh, people just feel that they don't have enough kits. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, I could understand that one. Um, yeah, like, if you want to dig in and see exactly what sort of armies the, each of these are more relevant for, then feel free to look at these results once they're properly published. But... The last point I was going to make for this question um, was uh, the category that was um, that the faction has like too many releases and they've stopped sort of caring, or that the releases aren't are falling in quality. Um, but it's such a small category that um, this is pleasing me at least. I thought that maybe um, with sort of the new cave orcs coming out that people maybe don't like or like. If maybe some people don't like the new Necron range or some of the Space Marine range isn't maybe like yeah I think I was wondering if people feel that they're you know they're not putting the time and effort into the releases that um, they should have. But I think the problem that they're having this is my own personal opinion the problem that they're having at the moment isn't that they're not putting the time and effort into the kits that they're making it's that they're putting all of their time and effort into one or two factions as opposed to uh, trying to spread it across a bit more evenly because. Mm-hmm. Um, Things like a lot of the Eldar kits need updating. Um, yes. A lot of Tyranid um, kits need some updating. There's a lot of the Guard kits need updating. It's, um, but you know, I mean, there's... even in those factions, um, it's good to see that people don't think quality's falling. People still, even if the faction's getting loads of models, um, it's great to see that people do like those models, though. So it's still good. Um, yes. Although yeah. the, I guess this survey does show that um, lots of factions are somewhat malnourished <laughs> a little bit deprived, yeah <laughs> yeah um okay so that's obviously miniatures um and moving on to sort of rules and game wise do people think the game's balanced do people you know like play because obviously you want to be able to play your primary faction if you feel that they're just hopeless or if you think they're just like so overpowered that it's not fun anymore um both are issues so that yeah. was really what this question was um and obviously, there was a good chunk of people um, that don't play the game, and I think it, uh, I probably should have had that as an answer rather than people responding in the other section. Sort of, I don't play the game. I should have thought about that. But um, we do have um, 
40%, just over, of people um, thinking that their faction are both fun and well-balanced to play, which is... That's very encouraging, to be honest. Um, I think it is, yeah. Um, And given that the other section is people that just aren't playing the game, um, that's now, you know, so less than half of the player base have any issues whatsoever. Yeah, that is a very good spot to be in. Um, Having such a diverse rule set as 40k... Um, it's quite impressive that they've managed to, ma- you know, do that with their factions. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they'd gone with a more generic rule set for each faction, they could have got that, um, you know, the balance to a much finer point. But you would take away. I think a it's, lot it's probably unique- worth going into more detail and seeing exactly <laughs> which factions think they're currently fun and balanced and things. Um, but <laughs> well, it's still a decent amount um, for now. And looking at some of the others, um, there's. Roughly, there's so we've basically got um, of the remaining, what is it like forty-ish percent? Um, yeah, lots of um, quite a lot. I think of people that think their army is currently like good fun to play and they enjoy it, but it's weak. Um, uh, yeah. So they they don't really have the rules to go up against other factions um which is that's definitely you know that's coming in probably like second in terms of like largest category maybe um, uh, yeah although it is yeah. quite i will point out it's quite a long way behind um both it is a long way behind i mean <laughs> it is a long way behind happy 1.03 percent compared to 15.38 percent it's yeah, uh, quite, so... quite a jump it is a big jump. Um, I mean, actually, half of the comments, of half of the remaining comments are strong and half of the other it's like too strong in some manner, and the other half of the remaining are too weak in some manner, roughly. Um, so th- there is clearly like a divide of people feeling my faction's too strong and too weak. It's uh, There are things that need to be addressed, maybe. Um, but I've also split it down into what people think, like... Um, whether or not people think their rules are currently fun to play, regardless of whether they're strong or weak or not. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and to be honest, the amount of people that say that their faction isn't fun at all to play is pretty tiny. That's like under 10%. Uh, right, so we've got five, just over 5% for unplayable. Which, uh, yeah, I would say is no longer fun. <laughs> uh, we've got 2.5%, uh, 2. so that's 7.5%. Um, for no fun to play, not too strong. Play. Um, yeah, uh, so so a very small amount of people actually believe the game is no fun, regardless of how strong and weak the armies are. So, yeah, which I, yeah, it's at the end I of guess the day, we can take, yeah, the, there's balancing issues, but so they're not really actually affecting whether people enjoy the game, though. People are liking the game, even if there are a few balancing issues, which is probably a really good answer to have from a survey. Yeah, I mean, if you're able to enjoy it, even though it's you know not necessarily the most balanced game in the world, that is a very you know encouraging, good thing for a game. It is. Um, so that's something I take from this um, that you know people are enjoying the game regardless of whether it's maybe. I mean, maybe it's well balanced. You know, <laughs> what percentage of people do you think need to be? Like really happy with what's going on for it to be balanced, but um, this is just things we can look at and work with, I guess. Yep. Yes. Uh, as, as we say, it's just a basic analysis. Um, 
it's hopefully you know at least slightly representative of the hobby and um, of the player base of the hobby. Um, but at the end of the day, this is just for a basic idea of you know how people are feeling. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really quite a small survey actually. Um, we only had like seventy answers or whatever in this, and I would definitely like to do a significantly larger survey. Uh, once we have a bigger following, uh, once I can get this out to more people, uh, we're going to do bigger surveys and bring you guys better, um, better stats to talk about. Um, yes. So I won't go over like the additional comments um, at the moment for the final question, but one last question that we I, I do think is worth mentioning, even though there's not a lot to say, is um, just whether or not people play more than one faction. And yeah. the overwhelming majority of people here uh, are playing multiple factions. Yeah, now um, this doesn't surprise me in the slightest, if I'm honest. Um, with the mm-hmm. variety of factions in this game, it doesn't surprise me at all. People are going to look at different factions and think, yeah, I want a bit of that, and I want a bit of that, and I want a bit of that. It's, Absolutely. Um, you know, it's a really good, really good sign for the hobby. Mm-hmm. I do think it's... Um, I was expecting, obviously, people to play multiple factions, but here we have 72% of people. <laughs> um, that play more than one faction. And this is sort of on the go at once. Um, and there's a mix of people that are like sort of splitting and changing around factions, but only 10% of people say that they just collect one faction and have no intention to change or anything. Yeah. Then um, on the flip so, side, 10% of people just say they buy and paint whatever they want, which is. Um... That's also a very good point. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it's kind of the um, same as not. Well, no, it's not really the same as just collecting one faction, is it? No, I'd say it's absolutely not. I guess it's not uh, really like not any faction at all. You just like the models, like the universe, I guess. Um, yeah, which is a perfectly valid way of getting into this hobby, to be honest, or enjoying the hobby. Yeah, I do think that um, we need to acknowledge that the hobby is bigger than just the game. You know, we've got a lot of lore, we've got a lot of hobby <laughs> side to things like painting and building. Um, there's a lot more than just playing models on the tabletop. So yeah. trying to see what the audience is like, how many people are in it for different reasons. Um, it's a nice, nice reason to have these surveys. Yes. Uh, there are two stats here that I'm quite pleased to see, though. Um, and that is I regularly switch uh, army to stay on top of the competitive scene at 0%. That's, you know, a very nice thing to see. So people are sticking to their... Um, to their yeah. preferred factions and not jumping ship when the going gets tough. That's always nice to see. And uh, also, I switch or switch due to poor rules again, zero percent. So even if the rules aren't exactly you know stellar, people are still mm-hmm. able to stick with their favoured factions and presumably get through games without getting totally trashed. Mm-hmm. Or at least you know playing more um, narrative scenes, maybe sort of. There are ways to still play your army where it's good fun to play. Um, yeah, that is so true. you're right. That's that's definitely a fantastic thing to see. Um, and I'd be interested to hear what uh, the listeners um, of Opencast have to say about this kind of thing. Um, do you agree with these things? Do you disagree? <laughs> What's your experience? Um, would you say that you know um, you have changed miniatures lines or like factions because you didn't feel your army was playable? Um, or would you say that's ridiculous? Who would ever do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so feel free to get in touch with us via any of our social media, um, or once it's up and running, hopefully um, in the next few weeks, our website, um, and you know, give us our opinion. Um, yeah, give us um, your opinion, even. I was going to say we already kind of have that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And to be honest, any opinions on any of the podcast or anything we've talked about today, um, yeah, just send it our way on uh, any of our social medias once it's up and running. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. So um, I'd like to say thank you very much for listening to our podcast. Um, yeah, as would I. Um, we'll hopefully be uh, putting out, well, quite a few more of these. Um, I don't think we've worked out a, a firm schedule yet, but we'll uh, figure that out and get back to you on that one. Absolutely. Um, we should be having an episode out every week um, going forth from this point, um, even if the day may change slightly at first. Yeah, we'll plot by her a little bit and see what we can get out to you. Again, you know, let us know um, if you'd like more or less content um, or on a more or less consistent basis, <laughs> then all your feedback is great and it helps us to keep doing what we love. So thanks yeah. very much for listening. Yeah. And so- we'll see you next week.